to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Kick Sugar Coach podcast. I have with me today, Dr. Vera Tarman. Uh, if you are at all active in this space, you know who Dr. Tarman is, but I'll do a quick bio for a refresher. She's a medical doctor who's working in addictions medicine. She's actually the lead doctor in an inpatient addiction uh, treatment center out of Toronto, Canada. She's also one of us. She's walked the journey of unhooking from sh- a food addiction. She's lost 100 pounds and sustained that for how many years now? 12, 12 or 13? Um, yeah, I would say so. For, yeah, yeah. I would say yeah. Okay. Amazing. Right. So cool. And she understands addiction through the lens of science and medical, you know, as a medical doctor, as personally walk this and understands addiction, not just in terms of sugar and flour and processed foods and junk foods, but like drugs and alcohol. She understands the whole scope of what we're talking about when we talk about addiction. So in our interview today, Oh, oh, and let me tell you, she's the author of the book called Food Junkies. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. You need to buy that and support her work and be enlightened from her perspective on this topic. So today, what we're going to do is talk about the whole body, mind, spirit piece of this. Um, There is, wow, it just seems like the world loves to break into these silos and from, you know, there's always a perspective of perspective. And so the, the ones on the way far left and the way far right, or, you know, like they fight as opposed to just realizing that they're all different pieces that when the puzzle comes together, we have the real, the fullness of, of the picture, maybe not even, but more pieces of it. So there's this one camp that's talking about how addictions really are, are a result of trauma, little T and big T trauma. So the Gabor Mate's of the world, right? And there's another camp that talks about the psychosocial emotional components of, of the use and abuse of substances or addictive behaviors. And then there's another camp that says, oh, no, no, no. It's physical. First and foremost, and you know, the most meaningful piece we could talk about here is the fact that the body is addicted and that we just need to abstain and all this other stuff. It's good to do, but really it's kind of addiction is just first and foremost, a body piece. So I think there's a nuance between the insights of both these camps that kind of come together to help us have a better understanding of what addiction recovery looks like. Um, So Dr. Tarmo, what's your, what's your take on this? Well, you know, uh, uh, by the way, thank you again for inviting me to uh, your now now your podcast. I, I'm I'm always happy when you ask me to the summit and now to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I'm still on the bus, and I'm happy about that. Um, uh, yeah. So the other piece that you didn't mention that there's another contingent of people who say that you know it's all it's really a spiritual malady and. Uh, and, you know, I, I like that one, too, because, you know, if you don't have a sense of meaning and place in the world and, and a, 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 some sort of focus to, to put your life on, uh, you, you become adrift. And uh, then addiction is, is a big 
sinkhole that you can fall into, um, whether it be food or shopping or internet or whatever. So, I mean, there's so many ways, but the, the, the really what it is, is it's everything versus the physical. And I, I think my view is that it's all of it. It's all of it. But I, I think I, I have some sympathy for the people who say that it's physical because I think they're really in reaction to the uh, first crowd which um, says it's primarily and has been saying for the longest time that it's primarily uh, a um, a trauma based or psychosocial based more than physical and and so I think that the the physicalers I don't know what we would call them the people that say it is an addiction are are probably more in response um because they don't want to get lost I, I think the message there and, and this is I do believe this that if you don't address the addiction itself in other words I am addicted to a particular substance sugar dairy whatever it is trigger food and if I don't remove that, um, then I will get stuck in that groove and no, no, no amount of trauma work or psychosocial or even higher power will do much. But once, once, like, I think that's essential, but how did we get there? It didn't necessarily be a physical route. It could have been a trauma route or a psychosocial route. Um, and a person is highly vulnerable to that physical substance that somebody else isn't, you know, it's, it's a bit like saying, the same conversation, let's talk about depression or anxiety. There is truly a physical component. There is. Um, but is that the cause of it? In some cases, yes. But in many cases, no. The person became depressed, anxious because of uh, early childhood uh, adverse experiences or genetics. Um, so, so really, it, it's it's a way of saying that addiction fits into the same category as any of the other mental health disorders. It's physical. And it's also these other things, but it's not one only. Right. And I think one of the, the, the dangers of the psychosocial, emotional, it's trauma-based. And if you can do your deeper healing, inner mm-hmm. child work, you work through your adverse childhood experiences, you do your trauma recovery work, that somehow it might hold out the hope for people who are on the addiction spectrum that they can moderate. Yes. And, and sometimes they can, and it seems as though, you know, my, wow, my desire for, I've had people come back to me and say, I did this, all this amazing trauma work. And now I find like when I, I very rarely want to eat it. When I do eat it, I eat just a little and it, it Mm -hmm. seems to me that I have healed my addiction. Yeah. Can I interrupt here? Yeah. Um, You know, I, I have the experience, I guess the luxury of the experience of working in an addiction field for, uh, you know, since 2007 and I don't know what it is now. Uh, 217 so that 15 years something like that um and and i see a lot of these people on year six seven eight later when something else happens so uh, uh, they might have been on that addiction spectrum not that high up so that they could moderate but then the moment something else throws them off then they're back in and unfortunately they're not back in in early days they're back in right where they left off and potentially worse so um it, 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 they're still not really cured. Um, you know, it's like in remission, but because it wasn't so bad, but then it is bad and it will become bad if they, if they slip again and you can't make life not happen. Like, so you deal with your trauma, but there's a trauma around the corner. You're going to lose your partner, your dog, your own cancer diagnosis, whatever it is. And then you've got uh, a beast that's been sleeping that it, it's not like it's day, you know, early days, or it's not like you're starting over again. You're going back to where you left off, and and that's the piece where I think 
there is a physical that, that we can't ignore. Uh, yes. Oh, sorry. Were you going to add to that? Well, uh, just to say that I've had a number of people who have relapsed saying, well, I actually was okay for a few years. I was, you know, I'm thinking more in the context of alcohol um, or um, that they were, they could drink moderately for a bit, but then something happened and then they were right back where they started. Right. And I've seen it too, where people sort of, it's a, oh, it's a slow drift. Yes. It's yes. Like every now and then it's like, wow, once, once a week or once every month. And then all of a sudden they realize, wow, how did I get here? It's like back to daily. Yeah. 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 yeah that's right. Yeah. And then, and then they'll say, well, what's the harm in that? So what if I have a little bit of sugar? So what? Well, because it, it, they, they might get back into it again. Uh, and so you, you might say, okay, well, so what? But it, it isn't like you're, you're starting off, like I said, from scratch. You're back to where you were at your worst. And unfortunately, what seems to happen is that you get worse. So that's that classic thing of the person who um, has lost weight, uh, and then they gain back weight, but they gain back weight more. And then they go back on a diet, they lose all that weight again, and then they gain and they gain back weight more. And, and we see that with uh, addiction too, the sort of mental thing, the uh, the obsession seems to be worse. And so the, the person comes back, not just drinking, but now they're using a little bit of uh, fentanyl, they're using a little bit of cocaine, or they're using even a little bit of pot, uh, or they didn't before. And then, then it, it, it becomes an uglier monster that time. And it's not just that there's a a broader breadth of the addiction, but the pull, the obsession is stronger. And with food, we see that, that the person's like, I didn't eat this bad before. It's even worse than it was. And it's really hard to get out of that hole the second time around. And the third time around, it's even hard. Ask anybody, I'm sure you've seen it in your own work, therapy work, the person that's come back from relapse, the third or fourth time struggles harder than the one in the first time was the first time. Absolutely. Yes. It's yes. I know if you've got your abstinence, protect it with all yeah. your life. <laughs> Hang well, on. We say it's easier to stay than, than to come back. It's really? Even easier. though, yeah, that's hard to imagine. I've actually had people call me on my phone to say, okay, so here's the deal. I, I know I'm a sugar addict and I fall on the spectrum, but I really, can you teach me how to moderate because you know what? I don't want to say never forever. I want rare exceptions. You know what I mean? And Uh I'm like, I really, I wish I could say I could teach you that. I really don't know how. Uh And I, you know, I think that's everybody's hope though, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so what we would, the answer to that would be, you just have to stop for today. It's that one day at a time thing because the brain does not like the never ever. Uh, And of course it doesn't. So that is the addiction responses. You're not going to do it forever. You're going to do it today and then you do it tomorrow and the next day, but each day, one day at a time. And then it isn't quite as daunting. And I guess I just keep thinking the people who want to negotiate and bargain and can I do this and can I do that? Uh, you know, it's, it's sure, but it's at your peace of mind. Like you can probably maybe learn to moderate if you're not that bad. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to be tormented and thinking, well, maybe like, you know, that, that, that bargaining that you have at the end of your little bit, well, maybe I can have a little bit more. And since I can't have any for another week, maybe I'll just have a bit more. And, you know, it, it ends up that the mental chatter is just as bad as the actual using, um, don't you want to just stop that whole thing? <laughs> yes, yes. And not to take anything away from somebody who can who can pull this off, but yeah, the majority of us it's it's exhausting. Moderation if, is harder. Yeah. If they can pull it off, then um they're they're not quote one of us. They they don't have had they don't have that 
physical thing that the physicalist physicalists are saying we've got to figure the biologists yeah. okay are, are saying um uh and and i i really think that in that case they're not getting the same feeling like i'm think i can think of one person who um really can moderate but when she eats something she does not get the same umph from that food that I do. So, uh, and I'll speak as a food addict here. So uh, it's, it's not even the same experience. So the moderation is happening, but the actual experience isn't the same. So anyway, that's. Yes, yeah, exactly. So I'm thinking of the book, the affliction of addiction by Adam McArnold Hmm. and in it, right. Have you read it? I don't think so, but it's a good title. Oh, it's about 60 pages of him just hammering home. Like, look it, here's the deal. You Uh, cannot become addicted to something that does not quickly and intensely shift your brain chemistry and mood your emotions, right? And it's page after page after page of the science around that. And he said that if these people that can leave three quarters of a cocaine, you think, wow, how do they do that? Because they're not lighting up. It's not quick and it's not intense. And Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not not doing for them what it's doing for us, right? And and there's no curing that, that, that responsiveness in our brain. Yes. And it's interesting to me how certainly there's a school of thought and there's plenty of evidence to suggest that it's genetic, right? That we come predisposed to being sensitive to certain substances, you know, acting like an opiate in our brain. But you've also made it um, a case in previous interviews that we've done together, the sheer volume of exposure can actually shift, cause changes in the brain that can actually predispose it to respond quickly and intensely to find carbohydrates. Can you talk to us a bit about that science? Well, okay. So this is all about dopamine and, and um, you can, you can alter the, so, you know, basically addiction, the physicality of it is that addiction is, um, although it's probably more than this, the language that we use today about addiction is that it's a hypersensitivity of dopamine. Like really, it's probably more than that, but the, the physicality is it's a hypersensitivity and you can, you can reach that hypersensitivity because you have a dopamine uh, two receptor abnormality that just makes you more hypersensitive. So there's the genetics. Um, You can reach that same hypersensitivity by just prolonged exposure, because the more exposure you have to something, you're, you're, overtaxing the dopamine response. It's just like sugar. It's just like in diabetes. You overtax the insulin response and you become hyperinsulinemic. You become hyperdopamine urgic. Um, and the body starts to adapt and change. So you got a physical change so that now you're, you're downregulating the receptors um, and so that you're becoming more tolerant. And so that physical phenomena of tolerance and eventual dependence is the addiction physicality. And, and that can happen through just exposure, or like I said, genetics, um, it can happen through a profoundly strong drug. Let's say I, I, uh, I'm a food addict, and then I quit because I found cocaine. Okay, that works because it's suppressant, it suppresses my appetite. And now I'm taking a drug that is more intense, and potentially more because I could smoke it, we call that crack, crystal meth even better. Uh, so now when I stop, I bet you my appetite, it, my dopamine is now really altered thanks to the drug experience. And so now when I go back to sugar, oh my God, my I won't, I won't be able to take my head out of the, the cookie pot because it I'm going to be so uh, deranged as it were. So that's so much exposure, not even because of sugar, but it could be sugar. It could be another drug. And I love 
Alan Carr's work because he was one of the very first people to talk about how when you're in a low, he didn't say this low dopamine state, yeah. But in that, when you're in a withdrawal state from some sort of substance that yes. alters, you know, brings your brain chemistry above yeah. baseline, he talks about how you feel restless and empty and lost and lonely and like it could be low serotonin, low dopamine, low yeah. endorphins, like catecholamines, all of those could be crashed and you just feel so terrible and restless and awful. And it feels existential. It feels like an yeah. existential crisis. It does. Yeah. And depressed and, and anxious. Yes. Yeah. And so of course you're like, you're like, I need something. I need something. Mm-hmm. And the big, beautiful insight that he brought to the table, well, I mean, he just articulated it really well was that state is caused by your use of drugs that drugs yes. that high and that you know what goes up must go down and so all yes. of those feelings and emotions that are so existential and uncomfortable and unpleasant that we were rushing to grab something to replenish our feel-good neurotransmitters artificially yes. and, and if we stay so 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 stay keep let's keep that model on the table there so that that high and low and thanks to drugs that could have been, um, you might have come to the table with that high and low, same phenomena because of trauma. So, you know, you, 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 because really it's dopamine, all of these things are, are mood um, chemicals that happen to be hijacked by drugs, but they can be hijacked by life too. And if I've, if I've had a terrible trauma or extreme highs and lows of, oh my God, I'm okay. Oh no, I'm not okay. Oh my God, you know, this is, I'm going to die. Oh no, I'm not. Like, I mean, you, you know, your ups and downs, you're doing the same kind of derangement because that's not a normal state. And we, we, we alter ourselves. And the, I, I don't know if we actually use the word down regulation there, but we do see permanent changes so that a person that's been badly traumatized, um, uh, is somebody who is not, unless they have great resilience, they're they're damaged to some degree. And drugs happen to be a very good self uh, uh, medication for this stuff, which is where that crowd of people comes in. You could still argue it's physical, um, but it's now not just physical from the drug; it's also physical from their trauma. Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. I did not know that. So what you're saying is that if you've got a child, let's say a child that is experiencing intense adverse childhood experiences, yes, and what's happening is there's this feeling of relief, like a, a high, my, my, my parents are going to stay together or I'm safe or something. Yes. Um, Snatch it away from you. And then, you know, they're fighting again, or one of the parents has relapsed or something traumatic. Oh, you're in a war or something. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. the stress of that actually caught, does that raise the dopamine and the, and the, uh, well, it's associated. It'll affect the serotonin. The stress itself um, has a, a role because with addiction, eventually, what happens is, is, is uh, addi- I mean, it starts with dopamine, but then the, when when addiction gets firmly in place, the stress response is also uh, it's like the glue that makes this whole thing worse. So that a person now wants to use just to avoid the stress of withdrawal, and that stress of withdrawal is probably very similar to remnants of the stress or memories of the stress of their trauma like you know it it, it's all the same neurochemistry I guess is really what I want to say and and it it probably mimics um uh, a similar pattern um where I think that trauma has at least laid some you know railway lines so that addiction is very easy to just click into place because it's already been laid down Oh, interesting. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Especially it's almost like the, the, the trauma, uh, the person with trauma, uh, 
like I said, addiction, it's, it's like, let's see it as part one and part two. So the part one is the euphoric piece, the, the dopamine piece. Then the part two, I don't want to go through withdrawal, the tolerance, dependence, impairment stuff. That's all the stress piece. Now, if you're coming in uh, from trauma, you've already built the stress piece up uh, from your life. So now when you walk into addiction, you almost walk right into part two. You don't even need the part one. You, you're just dealing with I'm dealing with stress and how do I do? Oh my God, this thing makes the stress go away, but I have to, I I need it because otherwise I'm going to feel stress. Not only the stress of withdrawal, but the remembering of the trauma that I went through 30 years ago. Right, right, right. And that's Gabor Mate's point is that these people are really damaged and that's why they need drugs, which is his, basically his philosophy. Let's just right. give the word damage scares me. Oh, let me finish my Alan card and then I'll ask you a question about yes. damage. I'm hoping there's hope yeah. around repairing the brain. Um, yeah. So, so Alan Carr's point was, is that when you smoke a cigarette, you, you know, it makes those restless existential anxious yeah. feelings go away. Oh, and you feel, you feel good. You feel get better again. And he's like, you know, that's just normal. Mm-hmm. Oh, your feeling is what everybody else feels without a cigarette. Yeah. So if you get rid of the cigarette and let your brain chemistry heal, you'll get back to that. Just normal. You don't need a cigarette to feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what you're saying with trauma, and I think this is why more conversation interlapping between those that are really understanding addiction and abstinence and the importance of it. And those that are working in trauma recovery is, it seems to me that there's, stresses in our environment that trigger the desire for relief. And obviously we're going to go to the relief that we know is tried and true or drug of choice or behavior of choice. Right. And when we cut that door off, it's so obvious to me that we, we then need to go back and do some of the trauma recovery work because we don't have an immediate way of, of soothing ourselves. Yes. Right. And so it just seems, and then I, I know of people I've had two clients now really intense One client in the UK had three, not one, not two, but three severe sexual assaults in her childhood. Shocking. Really, really incredible. Brilliant, resilient woman. Stunning. And so she has had an issue with chocolate and and also started, you know, adverse consequences of it and started to to try and eat less and eventually eliminate it. Mm -hmm. She got 21 days in and she started to have these intense flashbacks Mm. of some of these assaults. Like just, they just started surfacing. I had another client call me in a rainstorm in Ontario. Uh, She was a a recovery coach herself in her sixties, had beautiful recovery for drugs and alcohol and mostly had put down her food and had been in a a little bit of a relapse and had, had got clean and sober again with her food. And she was driving through a rainstorm, passing by a gas station. And all of a sudden she had to pull over on the side of the road in absolute hysterics because she was having flashbacks of a rape that had happened when she was in her twenties that she thought she'd healed. And so this is the kind of stuff that is buried underneath our addictions right now, maybe not for everybody and certainly not those extreme ends of trauma. Those are really extreme examples, Mm -hmm. but it just seems to me that if we don't talk about, it's not enough to just say you need to get abstinent and sail off into the sunset. We need to, we need to have the right resources and understanding about the role trauma plays, I think in our recovery so that we've got the right people and supports around us. Yeah. Well, it's it's clear that that kind of trauma is a trigger to relapse, either food or drug or alcohol. Um, and, you know, how to how to treat 
so there, I think there's no question about that. It's a trigger and it's, it's a big trigger because it's, it's the big T and, and it, it, it hooks into the laid uh, framework of addiction that's already there. Um, so it, like I said, you just go through the back door and go right to the worst of your addiction. Um, so you don't want to do that, but it, it, you have to have, you have, you have to manage the, those triggers. Um, and, uh, you know that that leads to the point of how do you desensitize these triggers? Um, you're just going to make it worse by dr- using a substance. But now the question is, how do you treat that? Right? So it has to be you have to desensitize these triggers somehow, um, and and that is important, absolutely important. And the the people who focus on trauma t- in today's time, I mean, I'm thinking of like Gabor Mate, where he says, you know, that trauma is so severe that virtually there is no cure and so we just have to give them their drug and and he focuses on the opiate world and so that's the whole harm reduction we'll just give them their drug but as safely as possible so in our world that would be you Florence saying okay in those days it's all right to have the the the, the chocolate uh and how can we make that as minimal and as contained as possible I don't know if you want to do that because um it's a trigger for further use, but it, it, it just depends on your perspective. With Gabor Mate, it's like, well, yes, it is a trigger for further use, but the person's not going to stop using. We're just going to make it safe. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to be in that position, and I, I don't know if you want to be in that position. I'd rather, personally, think how else can we deal with this big issue that requires, like, she's screaming for help, um, and what else can we do uh, instead of just giving the drug. Um, so, you know, what, how, how do you desensitize like EMDR, you know, anxiety management techniques, writing it through? I don't know. I don't know. That's the work of the therapist. Yes. And there's so many people stepping up to the plate now, really yeah. good expertise in this area. Yeah. 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 Um, but it is an easy shoe in to like, I, like, I, I think you you know if you talk about uh, the dynamics of addiction, that is a very easy way to understand how the psychosocial can make a person more addicted for sure. Right, right, yeah, and how um, that, of course, yeah, it, it absolutely plays in because yeah, these are the things that trigger mm-hmm. the intense intense suffering, fear, yes. whatever yeah. that requires an immediate a feeling of immediate relief and how can yeah. it not not yeah yeah and it seems to me that the the what the 12 steps do and all coaches do we all teach people how to bring in self-soothing behaviors yeah. long before you know hopefully long before anything really major comes and hits us you know to catches catches us by surprise or knocks the wind yeah. out of us and that we've got these solid tools that we know how to regulate our system we have connections we can call we've got therapists on standby we've researched them we know they're there uh-huh. that kind of thing yeah yeah i don't yeah. know what else to say about that i mean other than you know we can have compassion like like it is you know the harm reduction approach is calling for compassion so you know i think we can we can, we uh, like i'm not a harm reductionist i'm an abstainer if you want to separate it like that but i i think we need to have uh, absolute compassion so that when somebody comes and says i slipped and this is why it's you know it makes complete sense why you slipped mm-hmm. and uh you know how can we up up your support so that you you have an alternative rather than that terrible slip which will just i mean it's it's like 
it's the same as a person it also happens with people in traumas they end up cutting like basically doing self-destructive behavior cutting and uh, slashing and binging and purging like you know to violence um and uh you know we can have compassion for that but say what else can we do to support the person so they don't need to go to that next step Mm -hmm. right it seems that so much of trauma recovery work even like small t traumas like we don't have to those are extreme examples of course but even just sort of un, un, unmet needs in childhood, um, maybe it was inconsistent or insufficient nurturing from time to time. That's mm-hmm. enough to sort of set us up for needing something in our environment yeah. to do this through through challenges. Right. And um, that it seems that recovery work is also not just teaching you how to soothe your nervous system, get into the relaxation state have safe places to go and heal the emotions and be heard in the MDR and the FT and all those sorts of tools, Hmm. but also to teach us how to activate. Some people call it the wise mind, the true self, the adult, Hmm. you know, and to learn how to activate that part of us to lovingly reparent ourselves so that we actually can nurture ourselves. I mean, that's the ultimate goal of recovery is that in that capacity to self-soothe and nurture ourselves that we don't need someone yeah. outside us anymore to step in or something outside right, exactly. us which, which in the in the 12 step program that's what we call the higher power or at least some of us right. call the higher power it doesn't have to be god it can be that sense of wise mind um yes. or that sense of some nurturer uh, um even self adults nurturer within um uh, that yeah you want to have something that you can call upon that's not your your tantruming self at that moment right the child trying to trying to yeah. parent itself all over again like like yeah. we might have done and, and i love the work of richard swartz um schwartz i should say and his uh internal family systems mm-hmm. and his whole his whole story of having worked with really hard cases like he said and he first started doing his parts work he got he got he got all the hardest cases people right out of jail sex offenders like rapists child pedophile like all of them like the hardest cases the the chronic relapsers and he said one by one by one he said they all were able to find this true self this wise mind Mm. this nurturing they could find it it was there he said and i i didn't know if it was in everybody but it's in everybody and then i was listening to an interview and this guy was asking do you think it's in children too like can children access Mm. that and he said i wasn't sure and he said i can tell you after decades of doing this absolutely Mm -hmm. even children there's a part of them that knows how to heal themselves if they can just tap into it and activate it and yeah yeah and yeah yeah, yeah, that it's innate, that divine essence is connected to source and and mm-hmm. that, that healing and the wisdom and the supports and it, it comes when we're in that part of ourselves as opposed to the addict brain, survival brain, wounded right. self. Yeah, yes. it's beautiful and it's beautiful. And then all of a sudden the journey of recovery really looks like it's not about letting go of substances. Sure, we do that because they're in the way of our recovery and we want exactly. recovery so much yes. because it's a journey to joy, to wholeness, to back to love. It's a coming home, you know, and it isn't scary. It's it's actually the reason we want to get abstinent. And the trauma people, I, I feel sometimes some of them are like, oh, don't you, you know, the, the substance is, is just there as a temporary stopgap. You know, it'll it'll settle itself down once you've you've learned how to tap into the wise mind or true self. 
but I, yeah, I think it's so great that we're talking about this so that you don't necessarily fall for the illusion of the delusion that moderation is, is possible or. Yeah. Yeah. It gets in the way, I think. I yeah. mean, what you're, what you're talking about is a journey and, and it, it's almost like that classic story arc of, uh, uh, you know, the person who suffers and then, you know, rides through the suffering and comes through a better person, a, a stronger person. And I, I think it is it's essential to use your words because they found that divine in within themselves. And they could only do that by going through that hard road, which meant that they had to move away the substance and forget about the moderation because that stops the door right there. It just yes. stops. Yeah. It's like you have to let go of shore, the hero, the heroine's journey. Yeah. Okay, let go of yeah. the shore, the safe island of binging and purging. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you go to a, a, a different and better place. Yes. That would be it. And with respect to. And that, by the way, that's physical, uh, Florence. That's not just a, a, you know, a nice idea that somebody's going, ah, they're they're talking spiritual stuff that's garbage. It, that, it's actually a physical phenomena that's happening because as you move into that space of the inner wise, let's just call it the wise mind. I mean, that's that's a parasympathetic place because you're finding your own sense of safety. So in some way, you have visualized, conceptualized. Um, a mental state that allows you to be in that sort of vagal nerve um, parasympathetic space of safety and calmness. Uh, so somehow conceptually you brought yourself to that and you have brought yourself to, to a physical change. Yes. So cool. Yeah. Yes. 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 In, in that respect, I, I like to say to people who really struggle with higher power stuff, just look, that's just a shortcut, shortcut so that you don't need to know all this stuff. But if you do it, it's like that, you know, you act yourself into right thinking. You'll just put yourself into that place. Instead of trying to understand why deep breathing works, just do it and then it'll work. So you don't like the concept of higher power, but whatever it is, whatever words that it will take for you to get to that place of safety within yourself, uh, that it's okay, like that whole space that you were just describing, whatever way that that, that takes you, then you'll get into that um, uh, that vagal response, which is what we want. And that's where our calmness is and our non-addictive mind thrives. Yes. And then it can show up and make good decisions and and be... Yes, resourced and and be inspired and and have insights and yeah and fi- and find solutions to problems in life that don't swamp us and make us feel like oh my gosh I can't handle this I better go what's in the fridge yes <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah. it's our superpower that is our place of superpower and it's yes. and and I love the idea take the spiritual out of it because I know for years and years I was an agnostic I was an atheist. I still struggle a little bit. I do. I'm spiritual, non-denominational. I call it source, higher power. Occasionally I call it God, but I have a lot of baggage around that word. But if you take all that aside and just see it as actually dropping into the magical inner kingdom where you're in the parasympathetic response, you're calm, you're present, you're just something magical and peaceful and safe there. And it's real. It's a real place. And yes. even if you just think about it within our own nervous system, but it's a potential for every human being. There's nobody too broken. I don't know if Gabor Mate is right, but maybe I'm not dealing with crystal meth. Mm. You know, I'm fair enough. I'm not dealing with the hardcore skid row East van drug addicts. Right. But right. I still want to hold up the hope that every last one of them can find that part of them. It's got yes. to be there. 
Yes, that's right. Yeah, and what you you did say that you wanted to talk about that concept of uh, whether we are badly damaged forever. Like if that's yeah, a, if that's a term that we have to use, like or is there recovery? Um, and I, I I guess that I guess it comes down to where you yourself sit on that line. I I, I personally. Uh, I mean, Gabor Mate writes in his book, you know, in his well-known book, in the realm of the hungry ghost, he actually uses the word palliative care, that his his perspective is palliative care. I expect these people to be so damaged that they will eventually die. And the most that I can do is give compassion and not give them the agony of trying to quit and start and quit and start, you know, for, for God's sakes, just do what you got to do until you die. And 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 that's very compassionate. But um, my perspective is, okay, we need those people, Gabor Mates of the world, we need them. Uh, and, you know, they remind me that compassion is compassion. It's very important. But uh, we also need people like me and potentially you, I, I, I'll, I'll let you call yourself out here, but um, that are sort of more hard-nosed that are more like I want more for my people. I want more for myself than than, than palliative care, and um, I'm I'm willing to um, uh, jump into the water, cold turkey, um, and and get on the other side. And you know, at a certain point, maybe I I don't know, maybe I'll change my mind. But at this stage, compassion has a role, but so does. Um, uh, going through the fire, going through the pain and getting to the other side, because then you're relieved of it. It's worth the fight. If you're willing to do the fight, let me, let me be the person and you and some of us uh, that holds the hope that it is worth it to walk through it. If you've got it in you, it's not a waste of time. Do it. Right. And I know the greatest hurdle for, for many people that are right in the middle of this addiction is, oh, I want to take the harm reduction approach. I'll just do stevia. Mm-hmm. Just do my coffee. <laughs> right. I'll just I'll just do monk fruit. I'll just I'll only have one diet pop a week. And you know, God bless you, because that could be your journey of tapering down, right? Uh-huh. I don't actually I don't know anyone who cold turkey. When I look back on my my life, like I got rid of the white sugar for sure, the white flour for sure, but I was still doing honey and maple syrup years. Uh-huh. Not a lot, but it was there if I needed it needed it, <laughs> you know, and then I did stevia for a bit. And then I ruled that out. Um, you know, and when I look back and I listen to other people's stories, it was true, right? That there was this, this getting better. And my, my food became less refined and more whole. And then it became more organic. And then it became grass fed. And, and then I went to local farmer, like, you know what I mean? Like it was all my, the quality of my food was increasing. Well, the, 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 yeah. the, the horrible, most refined mm-hmm. stuff was starting to get better and less harmful. Yeah. It was, I was doing a harm reduction, even though I would have said, oh, I kind of cold turkey did. No, I didn't. Right. Well, right. I don't know that anyone really does that. So as long as you're kind of realizing that the goal is to totally unhook from these things, yes, that the survival self says you need to keep your toe in that world because you might uh-huh. die. You're not safe, but it's just not true that the real safety uh-huh. is in tapping into the wise mind, the divine essence, finding community, uh-huh. finding therapists, knowing that you can let it all go. And in fact, you're better off for it because you don't keep that addiction alive. The dragon hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. The dragon hopeful. That's right. Yeah. 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 Because the, then it's just a constant sense of deprivation, even if it's a minor one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's cruel. It's cruel. Cause it's wondering today, today, today. Yeah. And see, that's, that's the physical piece that the physicalists are talking about is, is there is really something there. And if we can just quieten that down, then we will have the capacity to listen to, um, 
uh, our other issues. And and I you know maybe it's been made clear in our talk today, but let me bring it out more that um, because I understand the physical stuff, um, I, one of the things that I'll say to people is. Um, you know, there's trauma and and uh, this big T and the little T, just the, the you know the stresses of life, big or small. Um, but um, don't think that you can do that. Do that first, um, uh, especially the big trauma. If you haven't quietened the addiction down, because otherwise you'll just re-traumatize yourself, and then you'll end up using again. Like you have to. Um, um, you have to put down the substance and then you, you ad address the trauma, but in a cautious, careful way so that you don't pick up the substance again. I love that. And tell me, say more about why you think that if you don't quiet the addiction piece, deal with that first, you can make the trauma worse. Well, I mean, a lot of people think I got to deal with the trauma, the trauma, 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 and then I won't need that substance anymore. Um, and I don't, I, I, I have yet to see that work because if they, they deal with the trauma, um, first of all, like you said, they have the easier, softer way. They have the ability to just reach. And so then they don't go through the fire. They don't go through and find their inner self because they've got this thing in the way. But but also um, they're they're not um, the, the resources that it takes to maintain addiction. It's very exhausting. All that fretting about what you're going to do. You're not you're not using all those resources towards healing the trauma and moderating the trauma because you don't want to just jump in and say, OK, I've had, you know, this sexual experience and, and let's just talk about it. And let's just unpack it. You have to do it very slowly and with caution and care and compassion and making sure the person can um, self-regulate their own behavior around it because it's they that have to heal themselves. and. Uh, they have to be able to do that without it, their resources being pulled over to the addiction again. Um, so I, 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 I really caution that people who think I just got to deal with my issues and then, you know, I got to get through the divorce and then wait till the kids leave. And then it, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I, I don't know if I can explain it more than that. That's very clear. Really powerful. You know, an addiction in and of itself is a trauma. It's traumatic to the body because we're eating or drinking substances that are toxic and detrimental and stressful, raise cortisol, malnourish yeah. the body. We don't have yeah. the nutrition we need to build our hormones and neurotransmitters and have the energy okay. Our mitochondria or, you know, Dr. Lustig would say eight different ways. Those mitochondria are being yeah. you know, stressed the hell out. It's like, it's yeah. trauma to the body to be in yeah. an addiction. It's yeah. trauma to the mind too, because when you end your day in shame, guilt, and regret every day, cause you know, better than yes. you're doing better. Yeah. Self-loathing is trauma. Yeah. And, and that's just going to make the original trauma further enhanced. Like yourself, you basically uh, re-traumatizing re, re yourself. Yes. So, so, but it doesn't mean that you don't want to deal with the trauma. You do want to deal with that, but, but you, at least if you maybe do it concomitantly, but don't do the trauma thing first because it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. So interesting. Well, this was very interesting. Thank you for that. Is there anything more you'd like to add to the topic of the connection, the body, mind, spirit piece, the, the biosocial 
psychological, spiritual, physical trauma, like all that. Is there anything more you want to add to the, how the elk hunt come together to conspire, to keep an addiction, to create an addiction and keep it alive? Yeah. It's, it's really just an, an, an understanding that it's all the same neurochemistry. One will beef up the dopamine, one will flatline it. And, you know, if I've had a terrible fight or a terrible distressing event, my dopamine is flatlined, my stress is high. And, and uh, that's the same thing that happens with addiction. Like it's not, they all get all jumbled together. Uh, So it's not either, or it's, it's, they all are working together and we want them. We want it when we're in recovery. That's why we want to be aware of all of those things. And recovery is not just about putting down the food. It's about now, what do I do instead? Like, what are my uh, coping mechanisms? Uh, And where am I going to get my nurturance? Like through social interaction and getting a pet or something, you know, something. Um, uh, It's all, basically, it's all, it's, it's all neurochemical. We want to fix it. (laughs) I've gotten myself lost in, 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 no, I don't know if I have anything else to say. (laughs) You know what I'm picking up? is that for every, what you call spiritual can actually be physical. It's just dropping into the parasympathetic. What we call biosocial emotional still has, you can still see it show up in the body in a certain way. So they're one in the same. That is what I'm trying to say. They're they're one in the same. They're one in the same. And, and, And the one thing you want to do is cut out one of the obvious offenders, which is the addictive substance. And then if you can cut out the other obvious offenders, like if you're still living in a traumatic environment, oh my God, I would not ask somebody to, to work on their trauma when they're living in a traumatic environment. Why would I do that? Like just, just give the person comfort in whatever way. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, there's a a coach named Sherry strong and one of her coaching programs, she does like this detox. She goes, all right, let's start with the substance detox. Let's get all these ultra processed foods out. Now let's look at uh, environmental detox. Like what things in your environment don't spark joy anymore or clutter or heavy. You don't like whatever, right? Like clear, let's detox our environment. And then what can we detox in terms of a mental detox? Are you still watching the news? Does that actually Mm. upset you? Well, then maybe you stop watching the news, right? How can you bring in the nourishing that the enlightened, the the lovely, the uplifting? Yeah. What relationships are you in that feel toxic or draining or pain, right? Let's let's urge them. Let's get them detoxed and, and fun and exciting that, that I, that process sounds, you know, because at the end you just seem like you'd be so bright shiny and new yes <laughs> good. Sounds good. Yes. wonderful well thank you again for your time today i hope everybody enjoyed this uh this conversation and we'll see you in the next podcast thank you thank you florence for asking me again thanks for tuning in this week if you would like more interviews more information and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar go to my youtube channel kick sugar coach or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.